on. Good morning, everyone. My name is Adnan Shafi, and welcome once again to the ACS podcast. We're doing a bit of a series where we're going to be interviewing people who are going for the SU positions this year. As you know, it's election week, so do be, do be prepared to vote. And we have a very special guest with us today, Georgia East. Would you just like to tell us a bit about yourself, what position you're running for, and also what inspired you to run in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Adnan. Um, yeah, so I'm Georgie East. I am running for SE president this year. Um, so a bit about me. I'm 22. I graduated last year now. I have to think about that. Um, and I've been vice president welfare and campaigns this year. And I've genuinely absolutely loved the role. As everyone knows, it's been a very, very strange year. Um, but we've cracked on and we have managed to get a load of stuff done, which has been fantastic. Um, why I ran for the role that's quite a long story and I'll keep it short and sweet but initially when I started university I really really struggled with anxiety and um, being away from home and I very 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 nearly dropped out in first year um, like to the point where my anxiety I couldn't really function and my mom had to come back and come get me bless her um, and if it wasn't for the support in the SU that I got through the advice department um, and the student support services I would have dropped out 100%. Um, so from that, I worked in the advice department for my first year and my second year as a volunteer. Um, third year, I was an intern. And then from that, it was kind of just the natural progression to run for VP welfare. And it's my passion, it's my drive. And I was like, you know what, gonna do it. Had to campaign from New Orleans, which was terrifying. Um, and it was the first, like the last time we managed to get away before COVID, which again, very lucky. Um, and then, yeah, this year there's, there's some amazing, amazing things in the SU and in the university, but there are some things that I really think need to be tweaked. And um, when I say tweaked, they need to be completely changed. Um, and yeah, my main, my main drive throughout all this, just because it's my inherent passion, is student welfare. And that's obviously multifaceted. It comes in loads of different avenues. Um, and I think it's about time that welfare was at the forefront of all conversations with the university again. Yeah, thank you very much for that story. And definitely, I guess you're mentioning anxiety, and I'm sure there's lots of students that can definitely relate to that. Uh, but in terms of anxiety, people could often also just make the claim that this, you know, COVID, etc. It's now like, you know, if people having anxiety before that this is sort of doubled down. So uh, under this, under these sort of circumstances, um, what do you think needs to be, as you said, tweaked or changed to be able to cope or to at least to, to help students cope with COVID-19 when even though we know there's a vaccine coming around we really don't know if you know this is going to be going on for a year two years mm -hmm. just let us know what you would change or tweak to to be able to help students out. Yeah of course um, so obviously this year has been one completely unexpected and two we don't know what way it's going to go um, I think it's almost a two-pronged approach this year from my experience a big thing that needs to kind of be reviewed is communication um, with the university. The comms department have worked very, very, very hard behind the scenes, but that's kind of the thing. It's very much behind the scenes. And I think students need to have that transparent and that proactive response to issues surrounding COVID. So they know exactly what's going on. I mean, as SABs, we've kind of, you know, had those initial conversations with people high up in the university. But then we just want to go like, okay, well, let's let's tell everyone. Everyone needs to know. 
It's been really difficult with, obviously we've been waiting for um, communications from Welsh government around, I don't know, restrictions, guidelines, things that are changing, but there needs to be kind of that explicit, clear, transparent communication with the university when things are changing, how things are changing, what the exit plan is. That's one of my big, big things about kind of university accountability and communication. We need to just make everything as accessible and clear as possible. Um, with regards to what else needs to be changed, I mean, where do I start? There's, there are some fantastic, genuinely some fantastic things in the university. And I do believe that a lot of the staff very high up are, are very proactive and are working to educate themselves on a number of things. I mean, I'm very aware that I am a privileged white female in the situation. I'm 22, I'm not an expert, but from my, from my experiences, there are a lot of flaws in the education system around whitewashing and, and the lack of decolonialization. That's, one of my big big things this year i'm not an education sab um it's, it wasn't really in my remit this year to tackle it um and to be honest i thought it would have been done anyway um but i'm so ready to just go in i have kind of a bit of a plan which i'm more than happy to go through um to just address this and just get it sorted um because i mean my i was a geography grad well, i am a geography graduate and i was really lucky that my school were kind of explicitly aware of it and they did give us kind of lived examples and real life examples and it was kind of embedded into our curriculum but I mean I've heard horror stories of just the like inherent whitewashing across courses which is just it, it's not only terrifying but it's just ridiculous at this point um and the one last thing I think that needs to be changed is there's a big there's a big disconnect between the university support services so the mental health support services and the NHS um, so with my kind of experience of the service and having worked obviously so closely with it this year, the support that the university provides is brilliant. It is good, but the university can only provide a short term pathway of mental health support. They cannot provide long term therapy, um, mostly because if you get long term therapy while you're at university, the second you leave the university, that support's gone and you're left without any support. And, you know, that's that's not OK. So. With that, there is this disconnect and there is this gap between the NHS and the university. So the university say, okay, you have, you're dealing with X, Y, and Z, you need to go to the NHS or you need to go to private counselling to kind of address this, unpick it and get the support you need. But a lot of students fall through that gap. Um, and specifically, I've heard, again, a lot of stories from BAME students that have tried to access BAME specific counsellors, but then I don't know that the provision, the provision, the provision is there now, but is it good enough? Is it good enough in the NHS? Is it good enough privately? What are the links? Like there, there needs to be kind of this, this direct signposting and referral pathway between the two to catch anyone that falls through. And I think one of my big things is having like bespoke partnerships with the NHS, but also third sector partnerships and um, charities that offer specific and BAME counselling support so that there is that you know you, you can walk through and you're directly kind of taken to where you need to go rather than just going oh yeah we can't do it best of luck it's just yeah that's that's another one of my things yeah I think you touched on a lot I'm just gonna sort of hit with one <laughs> that's no that's okay that's okay uh just one thing that I didn't uh did start thinking about was the concept of decolonizing education and I think a lot of people, they, they sort of get upset or like, you know, some people just 
misunderstand the concept of decolonizing education or simply just doing something as small as referencing an African scholar who has made you know, deliberate and essentially very large impact on the African continent in a certain field, for example. Something as small as that gives you a different world perspective and allows you to see reality differently. But even just, I'd say that the, the act of omitting so many sources of black knowledge or you know specifically african knowledge um is a form of and it sounds intense but it really is it's a form of psychological violence and you know this is exactly what uh tarsus cabaguere said when he wrote his article about the forms of colonial violence is the fact that you know the, the educational system is designed to produce colonial subjects so to what extent is cardiff challenging that and uh, just to, you said that you did have a plan in relation to that. I think that the ACS uh, sort of team takes a, a wide interest in that concept of decolonizing education. So what do you have to offer us in terms of decolonizing education? Like, are you going to offer curriculum changes? And obviously with the new bill that's just been passed, you know, in the National Assembly about you know, education, et cetera, um, how do you think that that was going to come into play in terms of Cardiff University and how you can be able to change things in the next few years. No, of course, thank you. Um, so obviously it's a big subject, it's a big subject. And again, as I've mentioned, I'm sorry if I keep mentioning it, I'm very aware that I am a white female in the situation and I want this conversation to be led by students with lived experience. It's not, I want to be able to facilitate it, but I, I don't, I don't know how to word this properly. I want to be able to facilitate it, but I don't necessarily want to lead it. I want to be the person that is there to lead alongside everyone, but I'm not the person that kind of has that platform that can go, right, I did this. Like it's it's something that is systemic. It is something that is, it's wide scale. It's it's everywhere and it needs to be, it needs to be sorted out. But again, I, I want to be able to facilitate that more than anything. So there's a number of universities that have already followed kind of, a plan um, and it follows the teaching excellence and student outcomes framework which is TEF um, and Cardiff hasn't done it. Um, we have got a very very good um, EDI kind of committee in the university, a strategic equality plan, um, but within that I've heard whisperings of decolonization and that that is about all. I mean, it's, it's been mentioned, it's been spoken about, but I kind of am at the point now, having had this experience this year, that I just kind of want to go in full guns blazing. And with my plan, it is kind of basically sitting down with all the college deans, sitting down with every single head of school and potentially a representative from each course or module, but it gets, it gets kind of filtered down and literally with a fine tooth comb, picking through and saying, right, where what are the areas that you need to integrate diversity more into your curriculum. Um, so what they did in with TEF is it was a student experience review consisting of focus groups. So like I said, students with lived experience and that have experienced whitewashing in the curriculum need to be at the forefront of these conversations. They're very emotive for very good reason. And like, they're the experts. You like people know what is going on if you've experienced it, I am again a white female. I probably like stuff will have passed me by because it's not explicitly ingrained into me. I haven't I haven't experienced the systemic racism that a number of people have at, at Cardiff University. So it would be going to 
every single college dean, going to um, Karen Holford, who is the Deputy Vice-Chancellor. And to be honest, she's absolutely brilliant. She is absolutely brilliant. She champions EDI so much. Everything that I have gone to her with this year, be it a concern for like an individual student or on a policy level, she's listened and she's gone, you know what? Okay, yeah, fair enough, let's get it sorted. So alongside the focus groups and the forums with the schools and literally going through a fine, with a fine tooth comb and saying, this bit of the curriculum needs to be changed. This bit of the curriculum needs to be like, abolished. It needs to go. Um, I think having focus groups and starting right at the top with Karen and saying, these are the issues that we have, we have picked out and addressed. What are you going to do? Because I, I know that a lot, of, a lot of these conversations can come across as very tokenistic and kind of like, vote for me as your president. I'll get this done. Genuinely, we can start having the conversation now. I mean... Again, it's not my remit and I'm very aware that I don't want to kind of step on any, any education sab's toes. But at this point, why hasn't it been done? Like, I'm back in work next week. I think, I mean, I'll talk to the rest of the team because they have to sense check everything. But I genuinely think getting a game plan together now for next academic year ready that either I can, I can facilitate or the next president can facilitate to just have like kind of a systematic plan of right these are the core issues which are obviously there's going to be a hell of a lot of them and how are we going to address them alongside the university equality diversity inclusion committee and the strategic equality plan to make sure that they're not only addressed but they are embedded throughout so it's not just a tick box exercise we're not just going right this needs to be done this needs to be done this needs to be done to like silence people almost it's that these voices and these changes are like proactive at all times and they, they keep being done because things things change as well. We want to see different things sometimes. So kind of went off on one a little bit there, but I think I think it's starting now, basically, establishing those conversations, establishing the concerns, and then going directly initially at the top, but then to the college deans, each individual school, and potentially even having a merit system. I don't think people should, it's, it's, it shouldn't be merited. <laughs> you should just be doing it anyway. But to almost have like EDI champions in each school, we have wellbeing champions. So why don't we have EDI champions that are students that can facilitate those conversations that can escalate concerns as soon as they arise, that are people in each school that can say, I had a module in, I don't know, jazz music, and it was completely whitewashed, or I had a conversation and they were celebrating the British in India, like that people can pick out those specific concerns and, and they have a direct kind of route to escalate them straight away. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And I think uh, in terms of just university responses as well, one thing I did want to ask and perhaps just to let you know about if you do actually secure the role um, was, I think a lot of people in our community feel that this is, as I said, it's a form of psychological violence and probably even the worst type in terms of, you know, this is almost outrageous in many ways. There was, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement last summer, and it essentially came to its peak. And we know that it was now a worldwide movement. And it's not like the UK has no racism. It's not like Wales in itself has no racism. There's been cases where people have actually lost life and race has been a central factor for, I mean, people obviously making the claims that race are one of the central factors as to why there was, for example, misconduct within the police or those misconduct within the CPS, for example. 
So it's not like this is something totally new and like, you know, foreign to, to Cardiff, right? But one, one experience that I had as well as Laura is that we actually had to email the SU and uh, we got a very shallow response with all due respect. And it just seemed like, you know, it was very wishy-washy. Oh, you know, we wanted to, the black community to lead this. It just seemed like it was a cop-out. And then when we finally sent like, you know, our email to overheard and like, you know, there was like, you know, thousands of comments, right? Within 10 minutes, we got a response from, you know, the SU and they're like, oh, you know, we're sorry. And then they actually posted something. Meanwhile, keep in mind, this is exactly what I was seeing as a black person. <clears throat> I'm reading the news while simultaneously going to Instagram just to be like, you know, let's go see what people are actually doing for the cause. And I go to the Cardiff SU, I go to the university in and of itself. It's just, I just see posts about, oh, here are your Netflix recommendations for students. So it's like, you know, do, do our problems not matter? And obviously like the, someone could argue, although I, I would heavily disagree, someone would definitely argue that, oh, you know, it's in the US and not really much of our business. Although I really wouldn't ag agree with that, right? But at least that's an arguable point. Now let's move to a more recent case where there's been one month of silence, most definitely. And I've also done a few other podcasts on this on my own. But the fact that Mahmoud Hassan, I'm pretty sure you've heard about that case, right? The first week where it happened, it was on BBC, it was on Wales Online, and it was on essentially national television as well. This is a huge case, right? And we're not saying that the school has to condemn it. We're not saying that the school has to be, you know, taking one side. We're not saying that the, they have to sort of jump to judgments and be like, oh, we condemn South Wales. But that's not what we're saying, right? But at least being there for the students, nothing has happened in a month. And I've even tagged the SUN posts, etc. And right now, with all due respect, this really feels like the school doesn't care about our issues. They only care about putting our faces on fancy posters that will go on the website to show other people that are around the world that Cardiff, in quotes, is diverse. So as, as welfare, and I'm asking this question really emotively because it really does mean a lot to our community. What are you going to do to be able to, to shift this dynamic and perhaps just change this cycle? Are you going to be uh, obviously contacting, you know, specifically ACS more because we're a majority black organization? What, what is the plan in terms of reversing this dynamic? No, of course. And Adam, thank you so much for that. I know it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult topic and the death of Mohammed Hassan was so tragic and so horrendous. And I know it affected so many students. Being completely honest, the fact that there hasn't been a statement is unacceptable. I completely agree with you. Um, it's, I'm obviously gonna, I'm still in my role as VP welfare and I need to be kind of careful. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that to one side and if you want to revisit it, absolutely. I'm not dismissing how important that is at all. And I would actually be really, really interested to speak to you and Laura and the rest of the committee away from this. But again, if you want to revisit it, I'm more than happy to. With regards to how am I going to shake it up and change it, I, I'm trying not to step on anyone's toes. The, the people in the SU have done a fantastic job this year, but it is it does not go unrecognised that this this was a we missed it. it. It was missed, and it's there is genuinely no excuse for it. I going forward, I feel like so with with my role as VP Welfare, obviously my remit is incredibly broad, and I have had a number a number of students come to me about racial slurs and race experiences of racism and all that sort of thing. And when something is happening 
on an individual scale or a national scale, it does need to be shouted about. And I understand that might sound slightly ironic as we've just mentioned the death of Mohammed Hassan and how it was gone unrecognized. I want to reassure you that I, I pushed. And to be honest, I should have pushed harder. And I think having, taking away from that, the almost, don't want to use the word guilt because this is just like white guilt and that's a whole other conversation. But the experience that I had of that and not giving that voice and your community a platform, it's not fair. And genuinely have, have having had that experience, I know, and I, I genuinely can tell you this, that if anything, God forbid, touch wood, if and if and potentially when this happens again, which is absolutely horrendous to say, I can assure you that there will be a platform for the community to be heard. I mean, statements like this come either directly from the university or from the president. And if I was elected into the role as president, not only would I be able to and want to more than anything, have that statement directly from me, I would come directly to you guys. I would come directly to the Student Race Equality Steering Group, which is within the university and say, here is my statement. Do you want to join on it? What do you want to say? What do you want the community to have? What support do you need to be there? And I'm, I'm very aware. I am very aware of the most recent case and how and how horrendous it was for the community. I mean, I have a lot of friends myself that are in the community and people were shaken. And for it to happen kind of on your doorstep is, is genuinely terrifying. And I completely agree. We, it's not just happening in the US. It's big and it is, it is systemic in the US and it is widespread. But I mean, look, like you said, last month it's happening. And again, with, with my kind of manifesto and my, and my points, a big old thing about it is allyship for me. And I, I want to facilitate those conversations, not only for the support that is explicitly available for the community, like I said, I've mentioned in my manifesto about BAME specific support and the, and the links and the EDI and the EDI champions, but also like educating us in how to respond to this sort of thing um because again there there is a gap there and obviously it's very it's not difficult but it's 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 sensitive to find that balance between right we need to educate white people but we also need to champion and celebrate and give a platform to black individuals as well um so i would be really interested to have that conversation with you all and and see how going forward you would like to see this conversation kind of presented and once again I want to apologise to the community and to Mohammed Hassan and his family because the fact that it wasn't explicitly addressed as soon as it happened is completely unacceptable, in my opinion. Yeah, thank you so much for for that response. And I think one one key part is just you know communication because um, I mean it, sometimes it just feels like you know. I mean, for me, it's, it's obviously, you know, you, you see the videos and that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, for other people, it doesn't really affect you, for example. Like, um, if I see a video about something that's happening, uh, for example, in Kashmir or something that's happening in Palestine, for example, all these different things, right? The thing is, it's very easy to separate ourselves from that. And I can understand why people who are not Black, they might feel like, you know, very separated. And it's just, it's like, oh, it's unfortunate. Yeah, of course, it's a human being, right? But like, when it's from your community and like this is like right there it's like i felt like i had to walk outside that entire week and that i just felt unsafe and the from especially even like around cops just in general 
and, the, and people might even think that fear is rational. I don't think it's rational because we've, we've seen the history, right? And um, it's just the fact that even under those conditions, like, you know, a lot of these cases are still going on and it's like, you're just sort of battered with new information. It's just like, it's a mental assault on the mind, you know, then this is exactly why I say that, yeah, the, there needs to be a more, you know, if, if racism is indeed systemic, there has to be a systemic response to racism, especially, and that, that obviously means looking at the university and looking at the internal workings of the university. Because as I said, racism nowadays is more likely to exist in a subconscious realm. So we, you'd never know it, there could be a system as simple as, you know, deciding, okay, uh, this is how we're going to deal with certain uh, mental health cases, da, 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 right? But you designing it that way, uh, you need to obviously keep in mind that different communities have different needs and it needs to be a system that's holistic and, you know, fully accepting uh, and uh, essentially one system that takes account of people from different areas as well, different races, etc. So my question to you would be, <clears throat> what sort of systemic response to racism are we looking forward to if you do get elected as president? Okay, of course. So I think I'll, I'll, I'll break it down into the SU and the university. Um, so, and obviously there's a, there's a big link between the two. Um, so within response to racism, I think, I think as we've just discussed with with like kind of the communication side of things, I think we should establish almost a pathway of, like you said, with each with each group, with each race, with each ethnicity, whenever something like this happens, having that channel of communication saying, we are going to make a proactive statement, but how do you want us to respond? What do you want us to see? Um, and going directly to our head of communications, Rachel, who's fantastic to just say, you need to facilitate these conversations. How are you going to do it? And that's kind of one area. With, within the SU as an organisation, I have been working on an EDI mod, uh, module, EDI policy um, to roll out across the whole organisation um, with Isadora, our BME officer, and Biba, who is um, our Heath Park coordinator. They are both fantastic, fantastic women, genuinely. I would always say, have a conversation with them. They're absolutely brilliant. Um, and unfortunately, they do have kind of explicit lived experience of racism kind of in general in their life, but also in Cardiff. So we followed a, mod uh, a model of Kent's union um, who basically broke down EDI into almost 20 main objectives, um, which I can I can go through them if you'd like me to. I can find them, but they they're all specific to the union and they say, how are we championing? How are we empowering? How are we representing? And how are we diversifying the kind of the whole organization? And with it, it kind of it streamlines between all the different departments because I'm sure you know, like the SU is so diverse. We have the advice department, we have job shop, we have student voice, and they are all very different and they are all very, they all like kind of work internally, but having that dramatic oversight of each department and saying as a as a union as an organization as a whole we need to be championing EDI inherently throughout each department um, we have I've spoken to Abid who runs the student race quality steering group um, who's brilliant and we've had conversations about um, kind of compulsory privilege cafes for all staff just to kind of facilitate those conversations and have have those safe areas where you can ask the difficult questions because I think a lot of my kind of white friends 
it's very much like, oh, we want to have the conversation, but we don't want to say the wrong thing. Like, no, say the wrong thing and educate yourself and read about it and have those conversations. Um, so yeah, with that, it's not only like championing the black students that we have on the on campus and in the SU, and the BAME students, it's also facilitating those conversations around allyship and educating white students as well. But with the main focus of this is an issue, we need to get it sorted and you guys need to be represented. End of like absolutely end of. Um, and with the university side of things, I mean, we have a strategic equality plan. We have an equality impact assessment. We have an annual monitoring report. Speaking freely, the annual monitoring report is flawed. There are a number of cases that go through the university and the complaints procedure is, is inadequate. It's completely inadequate. There needs to be, a, in my opinion, there needs to be a complete reform of the complaints procedure. I've had very, very close friends go through the procedure and it's, it's not, if I don't get this job because of this conversation, <laughs> but there is, um, it's very flawed and a lot of it is not trauma informed. People go through these experiences and have to relive them and relive them and relive them to get nowhere, basically. Some, some are successful, some really aren't. And we are working this year with um, the university directly informed by the student view that um, to rework the complaints procedure, but to be honest with you, it is a hefty, hefty job. And to kind of be working on something that is inherently flawed to start with is really difficult. And what I want to do is work directly with the disclosure response team. I don't know if you're aware of them. They are a brilliant, brilliant thing that we have at Cardiff University. They are there for instances, instances of racism, um, abuse and violence. They are first port of call for students to go to to disclose and say, I have experienced this horrific thing, help. And they do help you step by step through the way. I've had explicit experience with them myself and they are fantastic. But then you get to the complaints procedure. And that's where the issues, in my opinion, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear everyone else's opinion, but from my experiences as VP Welfare this year, it's so disheartening to have all of that support, have all of these plans in place, get to the complaints procedure, and it's like, right, well, noted, basically. So I, similar to what I said about the decolonizing of the curriculum, I think we need to be led by students on this and focus groups. I sat on, um, slightly separate to black students, but I sat on the launch of the abuse and violence commitment on Monday, which was fantastic. And obviously an incredibly, again, emotive and distressing topic to discuss, but something that needs to be spoken about. And the university have basically committed to providing, as we mentioned, this kind of streamlined approach to domestic abuse and violence and what they've committed to what they are going to do and what they're going to commit to, to each individual that experiences X, Y, and Z. And it is really strong and it has been led by students that have lived experience of these things. So why don't we have one for EDI? Why don't we have one for black students? Why don't we have one for instances of racism, kind of a holistic one, which has specific areas? I really, really, really would push to work alongside disclosure response to have a policy and a commitment in place that says this is happening. It's happening like peer to peer. I mean, the case of in Black History Month that the student using the N-word, I think it was opposed to Barack Obama, was vile. And I cannot 
uh, oh it was just disgusting and I remember thinking like what are we doing like what what are we what is being done what why are they not being sanctioned like what how do we how do we do this so then I genuinely think there needs to be not only a complete zero tolerance policy of it but a commitment in place that says this has happened to you because it, it's it's as complex as kind of multi-directional abuse in that sense that he said she said this happened that happened it's complex but there needs to be sanctions in place there needs to be this direct commitment to students that have been affected that there is that support available and there is there are those sanctions available to just do absolutely everything we can everything we can to eradicate racism on campus and I mean it's hard and it's not a quick fix and it's going to be kind of multifaceted but we do just need to be doing everything we can yeah I'm just going to move into the the second last question because you've talked about sanctioning etc um I guess it, I'm going to split this question into like two parts is like you know what what power do you have over sanctions and just sort of zeroing back to that case of um, I think this is a big reason why a lot of black people because I've talked to people in our community a lot of black people don't want to report cases uh, mainly because of this infamous event and now it's it's literally I, I was not even here in university when it was happening but everyone knows the case of the black face in the medical school da 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 right absolutely abhorrent and with yeah essentially nothing was done and um, I talked to one of the the people in the SU that were serving during that time and it was like a really it was a struggle to even like you know get those people sanctioned in any way shape or form it was like just a retreat you know I mean it just seems like you know <clears throat> people are being pampered through racism and essentially the victims of the racism have to deal with the brutish and like you know the the tough elements of you know being called certain things or having to see someone do blackface and essentially bring back all this racial you know uh, all this racial like you know power plays from the past right <clears throat> and essentially the people who have committed the, the acts of racism can just go about their lives it's i mean so how can we obviously as you said um actually come across this no tolerance policy and be able to enforce it and how can we be able to change those sanctions because it seems like the response to racism, it, it, like obviously if you treat something as if it's a small issue, it will always remain a small issue. So how are we going to actually perhaps escalate that and uh, produce harsher sanctions for racism? Of course, so I, I'm assuming what you're referring to is anaphylaxis within the medical school, which genuinely, I, so we, I graduated last year, so I was in Cardiff for, this is my fourth year in Cardiff, and when I, I hadn't heard about it the whole time I was in my undergraduate, it was, it was hidden. It was completely hidden. Um, and then when I started the role as VP welfare, I remember Daniel, our CEO, telling us about it in one of our first meetings. And I was like, how have I been at a university throughout my whole undergraduate and not been aware of something so, like you said, abhorrent and just vile um and I remember being very 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 taken aback by it that our kind of institution they didn't facilitate it but they didn't do anything afterwards and like you said popping a couple of people on a retreat and going don't do that again it's not good enough it's not good enough and I I mean I have more faith in Obviously, the SU, I'm very biased, but in the in the university, that if something like that was to happen now, 
it there would be a hell of a lot more of like repercussions. Um, I think, I think thinking back, obviously I wasn't here, but I think it was probably a very well-managed communications and comms situation where they were like, we need to sleep this, sweep this under the rug. And when I say well-managed, I mean horrendously managed because what? Um, I genuinely think now that if, if something as horrendous as this was going to happen, it would massively blow up and there would be, it would be a communication and PR disaster for the university. But you know what? Good. Like it, it needs to happen. People need to hear about it. Um, and I, obviously my kind of, I lie alongside the university and I celebrate the university and I champion the university, but if the university does something wrong, I'm not going to be scared to hold them accountable. Um, and that's one of my main manifesto points. And I think within this year, obviously COVID has thrown the biggest banner into the works, but a lot of times kind of SABs, don't forget, that's not, that's not the right word, but one of our main roles is to represent and to hold, to represent our university community and our student community and hold the university accountable. And with that, there does need to be a zero tolerance policy and there does need to be this commitment in place with regards to sanctions. If I was the boss, if I was, if I was the vice chancellor, I would have a review on each individual case. It's a lot of resource, it's a lot of time, it's a big commitment, but we're a big university. We have the resource, we have the time. So do it. There needs to be, again, within the disclosure response team and the student conduct team, there needs to be kind of with each case, it needs to be, it needs to not be a scary thing for black and minority ethnic students to approach. It needs to be something that we encourage and we, we support alongside. So there needs to be kind of pastoral support alongside the whole process. But also with the zero tolerance policy, I genuinely think if someone has, has committed an explicit like formal outlet of racism, get them out the university. Like we, as, as, our, as a university, as a union, we say we don't condone racism. So why are we letting people go to a retreat and say, don't do that again, be a doctor, go in the NHS. It's not okay, get out. Like we cannot, we cannot have racists in our, in our student community. And I think that's the fundamental of it. I mean, I've, I've experienced microaggressions with some of my friends and <laughs> not in my capacity as VP welfare, massively gone off on one, but we need to say that this is not okay. We need to have those conversations. We need to allow people to know how to call people out, how to report, and the reporting needs to be streamlined to the point where we can actually get racists, in inverted commas, off campus and sanctioned to a point where they are, if it's, if it's not kind of explicit racism, again, I don't know how you would kind of define that, but there needs to be remedies in place to reform these people. And if by the end of it, they aren't reformed, whatever that might be, get genuinely get them off campus. Like that's, if I was, if I was the vice chancellor, that's what I would, that's what I would be saying. And to be honest, I'm more than happy to have conversations with him to say that. And I will absolutely, because it's just not good enough. And I mean, if I, if I could, if I could clip my fingers and the complaints procedure be sorted, believe you me, I would, but I am not kind of afraid to tell the university that it's flawed. I mean, I already have this year, but actually in my 
in my potential capacity as president, say it is flawed, have, have conversations with students, make sure it's student-led and we know what we want to see and change it and not be afraid to tell students to get off campus, basically. Yeah, uh, so this will just be the last question and then uh, we'll close it off for today. But it's just to get a get a bit of an idea of who you are just outside of the role. But if you were to have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Oh. Oh, that is such a good question. Okay. I think, sorry, I'm giving this a lot of thought. I think one of them, there are lots, but one of them would be, this might sound a bit ridiculous, but Alexander Hamilton. Um, we have, I mean, one, obviously the musical that's out at the moment is incredible and all of me and my house are obsessed and we do watch it a disgusting amount. But the experience of kind of, of, him as a person and how it's been how it's been championed and rewritten in history I'd be very interested to kind of have that conversation with him to see but then also let's be honest and this is probably a very very generic response and it shouldn't be generic at all but Rose Parks like I'm absolutely obviously in awe of her as a female as a a black woman I would yeah I mean I don't know why I'd ask her personally but um there are that was a very unexpected question I reckon yeah I reckon if, if there was one person that I could have that conversation with thinking about it actually I think it would definitely be Rosa Parks to just like she is the face of of everything she's the face of all this and I mean as sounds a bit ridiculous but as obviously a, a female coming into a role that does potentially have a lot of power there's there's myself and Hannah that are running for this role and we not kind of likening this to to anything at all but having having kind of a, a powerful female influence and kind of asking how did how did you do it how did you when you're in the face of it all say do you know what I'm, I'm, I'm doing it I'm putting myself out there I'm, I'm facilitating this conversation I'm being I'm being powerful I think that would be such an incredible conversation to have. And yeah, I, I mean, I think going, go, moving away from that slightly, going, in, going into a role like this is, is terrifying. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, you can't liken it to, to anything that the black community have experienced at all. But I mean, we, we don't know what to expect. We don't know. We don't know what's coming, and we are kind of putting ourselves in a position where we are going to be constantly critiqued and and questioned. And I'm 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 very I'm very ready for that. But also having having expertise from someone such as that to say how how did you just go? Do you know what? Try not to swear. So going like how how did you just get? How did you just just do what you did with no no kind of no thought for anyone else other than kind of her and her community and everything she represented. How did you just go and, and do something like that and facilitate that conversation? I think would be so inspiring to actually put stuff into perspective and go, 
yeah, this is a big role, but there are bigger things at play and there are bigger things that we need to address. And yeah, I do want to be that person that can, that can facilitate that. Yeah, no, and just, <clears throat> I'm really glad you brought up decolonizing education. And obviously I'm not saying that you yourself have done anything <laughs> wrong, but just some interesting facts about those, those historical, historical figures as well. <clears throat> I haven't confirmed this, but um, it's very interesting because a lot of people bring those two figures up, etc. Mm. Um, and for example, you don't really get full contextualized stories. And I've learned this in the last year, you know, obviously like uh, Alexander Hamilton, obviously his runnings with the government, etc. Also being a slave owner, apparently, I think he was. So obviously, yeah, it would be interesting to find out how that history has been sort of rewritten, etc. And uh, there's really no mention of that when I think of Alexander Hamilton. But then also another one about Rosa Parks, really interesting that she wasn't really the first person to actually sit on the bus. It was Claudette Colvin, and she was actually a darker skinned woman who was also mm-hmm. a teenager and who was pregnant. So, I mean, it just speaks to the colorism that was actually still there even within the civil rights movement because they thought that, you know, someone who's lighter skinned would actually be more palatable for society, you know, to be able to, and it's, it's crazy because this is exactly what we mean by decolonizing the educational system, right? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you pointed it out because there's layers upon layers upon layers upon layers, and I'm really glad that uh, you'll be pushing for, for that reform. But, you uh-huh. know, yeah, do you have anything else to say just before we close off? Uh, I just, I think, I mean, I feel like we brought it to a massive round there that is showing kind of, like you said, how the curriculum does need to be decolonized and how we do need to have those explicit conversations. And I mean, obviously with the example of Alexander Hamilton, it's it it, it would be genuinely like pulling apart what what is present and saying, right, there's this lovely musical, brilliant, but like what is underneath it and and having having those conversations i mean i i i know i mentioned earlier and my friends say that this is a big old part of my personality but like going to new orleans last year and and being able to actually like i said like pull apart like the kind of veneer of of somewhere and look underneath the surface and say what is going on like this is built on something so so vile to actually like have those conversations and to explore those conversations, I think is so important. And I'm going to stick by my answer. And I definitely would have that conversation with Alexander Hamilton and be like, "Oi, what, what's, what's the, what's the real deal here?" Um, and thank you so much. Can I, can I have the name of that individual that you mentioned? I'd really like to have yeah. a. Um... Odette Colvin. I'll put it in the chat as well. So. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I. That's incredible. I genuinely. I have no idea. Um, so I will 100% be reading up on that and having a having a look. Um, but no, um, finally, genuinely, thank you so much, Adnan. It's been so great to speak to you. Um, and I really, I genuinely, when I'm back in work next week, I'm going to get in touch with you guys if you're if you're happy for me to. Um, because I mean, I'll know next week if I've got the role or not, which is terrifying. Um, but regardless of that, I really would like to kind of have that almost that package of research information and concepts and ideas that we can either facilitate going forward or I can just hand as kind of a package over and say right this is this is what communities have said they want to see because yeah this is something I feel very very strongly about and that's why it's so explicitly clear on my manifesto and 
these conversations need to keep happening. So thank you so, so much for letting me, for letting me come along. Anytime. And thank you so much for your time as well. We appreciate your efforts as well. You said you, you did push for some reforms and you've mentioned those things. So on behalf of the ACS community, thank you. And obviously we'll be in contact with you uh, should you actually get the role and we'll definitely try and liaise with you when it comes to all these different issues in regards to systemic reform in the system. But to everyone that's listening, thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Do not forget to vote this week. And we hope that these podcasts have sort of helped you in terms of giving you a more informed decision when it comes to your vote. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a wonderful day.